We're going to need a little bit of help this afternoon, Brother Eddie and uh, William Caps and Rick uh, and maybe two or three other you good men. You, you heard the old saying, we need a few good men? <laughs> uh, John Watson, uh, some of you know John Watson. He used to sing some in the uh, praise team. Uh, he was in an auto accident back during one of the uh, ice storms and uh, He's moving from one apartment to another because uh, he had some hip injuries or something, and he was on an upstairs apartment, and they're going to move him to a ground-level apartment. And these guys are going to go help him do it after class today. So uh, see Brother Eddie. He's got the directions, the phone numbers and all that, where people should go. Uh, how many of you can help? Men. Okay, let me ask you this way. How many of you, that's one hand back, how many of you can't help? How many of you just don't want to help? <laughs> Well, I saw one hand back that said they would help. Okay, so that's four of you now. And so four would be good. It'd be good though if you had five. All right. <clears throat> the Congo Crusade is underway, praise God. Praise Pastor and Brother Donald are somewhere between Paris and Kinshasa by now, I imagine. And um, maybe, maybe they're flying over the desert. Uh, what is that big desert in Africa called? The Sahara Desert. They're they're, they're over the Mediterranean or somewhere about the desert area right now, headed south. Praise God. All right, so we're going to, I feel like I'm cramped up back here. I'm going to move up just a little bit. I feel like I'm right backed up against the wall. Leave me some room. I might want to run around this thing. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue with the works of Jesus today. As a matter of fact, this will wind up this, this series. And then we're going to take a two-week uh, vacation. We're going to be off two weeks. Uh, I'm going to give you plenty of time to study for the test. <laughs> You'll, be back. You'll be back in time for the test. Yes, praise God. All right, so today, this, this is called Working the Works of Jesus. Working, working the works. Are you working the works? Well, you ought to be. John chapter 14. Let's just read our scriptures again. <clears throat> so we'll be familiar with those. John chapter 14, verse number 6. And Jesus said unto Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, Thomas, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Uh, Philip said unto him, well, he's, then, then, he, then Philip responds, doesn't he? Philip, then Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you? I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. In other words, the work ought to prove it. If you don't believe what I say, don't believe it just because I say so. Believe it because of the work, what I, the, the, the results that, that the, that's being done. In other words, Jesus is a what? Anybody know? He's a proof producer. That's what you ought to be, a proof producer. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now go to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> and uh, verse number 18. The disciples of John showed him all of these things. If you read back just a few verses prior to this, uh, you find that uh, Jesus has just raised a person from the dead. The uh, widow of Nain's uh, only son had passed away and the funeral procession was underway. They were on the way to the cemetery uh, and uh, Jesus stopped the funeral and demanded or commanded that the young man arise. And the man, the young boy got up out of the casket and uh, began to speak. 
So he was very much alive. And the disciples of John showed him or showed to John all of these things, began to tell what they had seen, what Jesus had done. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And when the men were come unto him, or unto Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And in the same hour... He cured many of their infirmities and plagues. Notice it didn't take but an hour to get rid of whatever was wrong with them. It didn't take a, a lifelong process. He, you know, Jesus just spoke and whatever he uh, spoke uh, or whatever he spoke to removed itself from them, whatever infirmity they had. And of evil spirits and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. I wondered why there it said many and not all, you know, because most of the time it says all Jesus healed all, but here it says he healed many that were blind. So apparently there were some blind that didn't receive. Why do you suppose they didn't receive? Unbelief, that's exactly correct. Unbelief. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. But notice what Jesus said to them. He said, Go Tell John what things you have seen and heard. In other words, be an eyewitness. I want to show you over in Acts chapter 4, uh, something that relates to this. Acts chapter 4. And uh, here, <clears throat> Peter and John have just been to the uh, temple uh, at the beginning of chapter 3 and Peter has spoken to the lame man to get up and walk. And a notable miracle was performed. As a result of that, the fame of that miracle went throughout the country and uh, a great revival broke out and additional healings were uh, done as a result of the building up of the faith of the people that heard, you know, the testimony. Well, that's what will happen when, when you begin to witness of the good things that God is doing in your life or has done in your life, some notable miracle that may have occurred to you personally, if you tell it to others, it accelerates or it lifts up their faith. It, you, are, you are exhorting or edifying other members of the body of Christ when you talk about the good things of God or the works that God is doing in your life. That's part of working the works, you see. As you tell what Christ or what God has done for you, you are working the works or causing the works to be worked in someone else's life. And as the fame of this miracle spread out throughout the country, that's exactly uh, what happened here. And, uh, and, and many people began to believe. And as a result, the uh, religious uh, crowd didn't like what was going on because they wanted to have control of the people. So they called Peter and John in to, to question them concerning this, this miracle that had taken place. And they called them aside after much debate because they didn't want to openly punish these two men because they were so popular and they didn't want to create a greater uprising. So they called them aside and told them, you cannot preach or teach anymore in, the, in this name. You've been, you've been talking about what Jesus has done. You've got to be quiet. You can't talk about it anymore. Now, here's what Peter and John said or how they answered the question. Verse 19, And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God. Well, is it, who should you obey, God or man? You should obey God, exactly. And then verse 20, here's what he said. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I mean, that's all we can talk about. That's all we know. We, we don't talk about fictitious things. Peter and John said, we're, we're, all we're doing here, we're just telling the people what we have experienced. And you know, that's the best way for you to preach. That's the best way for you to go work the works of Christ or, or, or perform the works of Christ in your life is to go and talk about the things that you have experienced. If you are an eyewitness to something or if you've actually had hands on something, you're more familiar with that and nobody's going to be able to trip you up. They're not going to cause you to doubt it because you know in your knower that it's right. He said, is, is it right for us to listen to God or is it right for us to listen to man? 
Well, the answer is it's right to listen to God and begin to talk about those things that we have seen and heard. And that's what Jesus told these disciples of John. Go back and tell him what you have seen and heard. Don't worry about all of these other things that spreading throughout the country because you're, you're don't, you are a secondhand witness. It's hearsay. Have you ever gotten in a room, and I dare say we could do it in this room, I could go over here and, and whisper something in Brian's ear, and he could reach to the person beside of him and let that thing go around, and by the time it got to the back of the room, it wouldn't be at all what, what I had said in, in the beginning. It would be exaggerated or it would be completely turned around and changed. Well, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're hearing. You go tell John what you see right here. You heard this firsthand. Don't worry about all the gossip and all the things that's going around. But you just talk about the miracles that you know. The thing that you know in your knower that is right. You talk about that. And that's how you, that's how you begin to work the works of Jesus. Now let's go to John chapter 6. John, 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 chapter 6. <clears throat> and verse, well, I, I got 28 now, but I'm going to go back to verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Seek ye, or ye seek me, not because you see the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and, the, and were filled. So Jesus, in one sense, the word is upbraiding them. You're following me, not because of the miraculous, but you're following me because you got your stomachs filled. Jesus is saying you're following me because of things. You know, there's a lot of people in the church world today that's following Jesus because of things. They're seeking things. Oh God, I'm tithing if you'll just give me some things. I'm giving money, God, because you said in your word, you would give me some things. Well, Jesus, what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom, and then all of these, what? Things would be added to you. Well, see, people are seeking things and not seeking God. But Jesus said, he's upbraiding these people here. He said, you're following me. You seek me not because of the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, that's no good. You're wasting your time. Don't labor because of things, but, but labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Get involved in eternal things, the works of Jesus he's talking about, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for he hath, for he, him hath God the Father sealed or sent. Then said Jesus, unto, then said they unto Jesus, what shall we do? that we might work the works of God. And listen to the simple answer that Jesus gave them. You know, we try to make things so complicated sometimes. How can we work the works of God? Well, we got to get a tent, and we got to build a ramp healing line, and we, you know, we got to have a PA system, and, you know, and we, we got to send out advertisements, and we, we got to get on television and encourage the people to come. Well, all of that's good, but here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said, how you do the works. This is the work of God that you believe on him that hath sent him or that hath sent me. Believe on him whom he hath sent. So you just, so to work the works of Jesus, number one, you just believe. Jesus said in uh, John 14, we read it a bit ago, he that believeth on me. Well, my question immediately would be, are you a believer? Are you really a believer? Or are you a mental assenter? Do you just think about these things and say, oh, that sounds good. I think I'll try it. That sounds real good. I think I'll give, I'll give Jesus an opportunity to do something, you know. Is it, is it mentally or do you really believe? Where, where does a person believe? In the heart. Believing is down in here. There's, there's, a, there's a knowing way down inside when you know that something is true. And it goes beyond the head knowledge. He that believeth on me, the works that I, sh that I do, shall he do also, and greater works shall he do, because I go to my Father. Well, if you are a believer, if you are genuinely a believer, then you should be doing the works of Jesus. So check up. Make a, do a check up. If you really believe in the one that, that was sent, if you really believe in the word, Jesus said you'll be doing, you'll be doing the works. So then I have another question. What are you waiting for? 
What are we waiting for? Are you waiting for God to do something? Are you sitting around waiting? Well, you know, God, if you don't get involved in this situation, oh, God, I need help. I need some help, oh, God. God, you have to do something. God, if you don't do something about this, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, I want to tell you something. If you hadn't figured this out already, God has done all that God is going to do. You're not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Because God has already done all He is going to do. Now, you, you are His hands. You are His feet. In fact, you are His body. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, 23. We can quote that, but we go look at it. I want you to see it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. How that God placed all things, hath put all things under His feet under the feet of Jesus, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Well, if you are a born-again believer, you are a member of the church. You don't have to go through the, the membership class to be a member of the body of Christ. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you become a member of the body of Christ. So if you are his body, then you're his hands, you're his feet, you're his body. You ought to be doing the works. That's how Jesus is, that's how God's working today. He's working through his body. Go to uh, uh, Ephesians, flip it over a page, and look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So how is he doing exceedingly abundantly above all? He's doing it by the power that rests within you. He's working in your life according to the power. Now that word according actually means after the manner of. In other words, whatever, whatever the power that dwells in you, that's the only amount of power. That's all that's going to be able to be done through you. God's not going to jump over and, and just make something happen. Now, I know he could, but God doesn't work that way. He works through his body. You have God's power in you, according to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Uh, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, if you have the Holy Ghost in you, then you have God's power in you. So it's time to do the works. So let's talk about the works then. There are two kinds of works. In John chapter 14 and verse 12. What are the two kinds of works? Same works? Greater works. Very important. Same works? Greater works. <laughs> there are two kinds of works. The question might be this. <laughs> Have you heard that before? What are the two kinds of works Jesus asked the church or told the church to do? Same works? Greater works. All right, you got it now. You got it now. Now, we read about it back in, in Luke chapter 7, verse number 22. Here are the same works. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. So the same works ought to be performed or being done in the body of Christ today. When is the last time you saw in the church a blind person receive their sight? Don't answer that question. When is the last time you saw or heard a deaf person's ears open? When is the last time you saw a lame man walk? When is the last time you saw a dead man raised? Have you ever seen that? You ever seen a dead person raised? Then there are greater works. Now, most of the works of Jesus, and we don't want to discount what's happening or what, what happened, but most of the works of Jesus dealt with healings. But to do these works, whether it's the same or whether it's the greater, you have to put yourself in a position to do the works. You have to be at the right place at the right time with the right equipment. You have to put yourself in a position to do the works. Now, here's how you get in that position. Preaching or proclaiming the good news. You go preach good news. You ever notice how that, that in an evangelistic service, when the preacher is preaching about salvation, what happens? People get saved, don't they? Because that's the gospel message that's going out. When, when, when healing is preached, people are healed. When, when we have a, a, a message preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, usually somebody gets filled with the Holy Ghost. 
So put yourself in a position, proclaim the good news. Matthew 28, 19 said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So you need to be going. Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So while you're going, be preaching. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 2. Let's go look at that one. Uh, that, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. What? A chapter 4, and well, let's actually go, I'm going to read verse 4, but let's go back to verse number 1. Paul says to Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's the first command that he says, preach the word. Now, you don't, you don't preach philosophies. You don't preach the thoughts of men. You preach the word. In other words, uh, Brother Hagin said, you, you have to, and I've heard pastors say this before, you have to be a stickler for the word. We want chapter. We want verse. We want to know where, where it is in the word of God. You know, some, I've, I've been in so many churches uh, that uh, <clears throat> ministers get up and preach, and you never have to open your Bible. You ever been in a church like that? You never, ever have to open your Bible. Those people aren't really getting the meat. They're not getting fed real good, are they? It's, it's, it's kind of surface stuff. It, but, but be a stickler for the word. When you go out to proclaim the good news, get the chapter and verse. You, you go into a person's home or, or place of business or wherever you are. You know, when you're witnessing to someone, it's a good idea. And you know the verse. You can quote the verse. But it's a good idea to say, do you have a Bible? If you do, get it out. I want you to see this for yourself. Let them see it. Let them read it. Show them chapter, show them verse. Because you, you tell me something, and, and I, might, I might doubt it because, you know, it might just be your words. You might just be saying it. But if you can show me from God's word, then I have no choice but to believe it. So be a stickler for the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Be instant out of season. In other words, stay on ready. Amen. Stay on ready because, you know, the, the opportunity is coming. If you preach the word, opportunities are coming. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but rather after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. In other words, they, they'll go around and hire hirelings to preach what they want to hear. A comfortable gospel. Make it comfortable for me. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now you make proof of your ministry with miracles, signs, and wonders. That's how people know that, that God is, is with you. If you will proclaim the word, if you'll be a stickler for the word, if you'll preach the word, signs will follow. Mark 16, 17 through 20. These signs shall follow them that believe. In other words, first off he said, go and preach, go and teach, go and make disciples. In other words, you're spreading the good news, and as a result, people believe, and then signs follow. As people believe, signs will follow, he said. In my name they shall, number one, cast out devils. Number two, speak with new tongues. Number three, take up serpents. In other words, you'll be able to handle the devil. He won't be handling you anymore. Number four, drink any, de drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. Number five, they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Hey, that, that's a guaranteed deal, isn't it? If you're preaching the good news, these things are going, going to happen. Because uh, as it says in Isaiah 55, 11, God said, so shall my word be. It shall not return to me void. What did he say it was going to do? It will accomplish the purpose that I sent it to accomplish. So when he said, I sent my word and healed them, What's his word going to do when we preach healing? His word's going to heal them. Healing will always come. Miracles, signs, and wonders are always present if we'll just have the, the boldness to believe and boldness to preach the word. Now, when Jesus uh, went about preaching the gospel, uh, he, some things happened, but he, he was anointed to preach the gospel. He was able to preach because he was anointed to preach. He wasn't mama called. I like what Pastor Singletary said last week. Just because you're learning stuff don't mean that you're called to preach. Now some people go to school and I got nothing against school because I went to school myself. 
But I have nothing against education. I, I like when a person is educated because, you know, you, you can carry on a halfway decent conversation <laughs> with them. Hopefully. Hopefully. Just so they don't get too educated. You know, I, uh, my, uh, my brother's a pastor of a church down, down east. His, uh, uh, a lady in his church, she thought she was giving him a compliment one day. Uh, Bobby, that's my brother, he went to East Carolina University, graduated from there. He went to Emanuel College, graduated there. And I can't remember the other school, but he went to another place, graduated there. He's, he's got about three degrees. So he's, he's a fairly well-educated, well-versed individual. And, and, and uh, this lady had invited a family to church, and when the church was over, she wanted to introduce them to her pastor. You ready for this one? She said, she said, this is our pastor, Brother Bobby Williams, Reverend Bobby Williams. Uh, they said, uh, she said, well, he's a very educated individual. Said he's been to three colleges, but you would never know it. <laughs> she, she was giving him a compliment in one sense of the word, you know. <laughs> but, but sometimes people go to school and you know it. You know, you can tell it. That Dr. Doctor, uh, doctor so-and-so is our pastor. You know, and, and he's got some deep theological thought that he wants to give us today. And it gets so deep that nobody understands it. It gets so deep, I don't believe he understands it. it just, it's, just, it's just out there, you know, in, in, in never, never land somewhere. And nobody ever gets the truth of the gospel. But that's what I liked about Jesus' teaching. He taught the everyday man. He, he taught in parables and things that, that we could understand. You know, when he was around people that tended sheep, he talked about the shepherd and he talked about the flocks. When he was with uh, Peter and the other disciples that were fishermen, he talked about fishing. He said, you shall be fishers of men. He talked in terms that people understood, you see. And, and he didn't try to get way out there somewhere. So we don't need to show off and show our education and say, look, look, you, you're way down there, you don't know squat doodly. And I know all of this stuff, you know, I'm deep in the things of God. Well, you're just so deep, you see, that, you, that nobody, you can't help anybody. Amen. But you've got you to get right where that person is living and relate to them on, on their level. And that's what Jesus did. He, he could preach that way because he was anointed to preach. Mama didn't call him. He didn't go to school and get the education and decide one day he was going to be a preacher. I was in, I was in a Bible class one day in Greenville, South Carolina. And Dr. Beecham, who was a very deep individual, but he could get right down on our level too. Uh, he wanted to know from all of the class why the boys thought that they were called to preach. How did you know you were called to preach? And this one little boy from way out in the country, South Georgia somewhere, raised his hand. He, you know, he really had a vision from God. He said, Brother Beecham, or we call him Dr. Beecham. Dr. Beecham, I was uh, dreaming, I had a dream one night, and, and I looked out in the back field, way out behind our farm, and standing in the middle of the field was this gigantic letter P. <laughs> and God said, God said, go preach. Dr. Beecham said, huh. That's the way he talked, you know. He got that old deep, huh. God just telling you to get out of that field and plow, boy. <laughs> So sometimes we get our, we might get our calling mixed up. It's not time to go preach. It's time to go plow. Get the weeds out of the cornfield, you know. That's what he's telling you. Just because, you know, you got some knowledge don't mean you called to preach. You got to be anointed. You got to be called. You got to have a special encounter from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus ascended up on high, he is the one that called. He gave gifts unto the men. He called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He didn't say that your family did or anybody else did or, or some big gigantic letter in the middle of the field. What would he have been, you reckon, if, if he'd have seen an A? Would he have been an apostle? Would this young man been called to be an apostle? How about if he'd have seen an I? He might have been an idiot, hadn't he? Well, you never know, do you? <laughs> okay. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4.18. Let's see what it says over there. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, God, hath anointed me to preach the gospel. So the anointing comes from God. It doesn't come from mama. It doesn't come from school. It doesn't come from some dream with a letter in the middle of the field. It comes from God. And the purpose, or one of the purposes of the anointing, is to proclaim good news. That's what Jesus said. He hath anointed me to, first of all, preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. 
Preach the gospel to the poor. Now, if a man is poor financially, what's good news to him? That God's going to meet all of his needs by Christ Jesus. God, God has a supply. If a man is poor spiritually and in sin, the good news is that Jesus saves. Now, if a man, you ready for this, aren't you? If, if a man is poor physically and sick, then what's the good news? Jesus heals. <laughs> so we just go tell the good news, don't we? So that's one of the purposes of the anointing is to be able to know what to say, when to say, how to say it. Now, some you, you don't know yourself, you know, but when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're anointed, you'd be surprised the things that just simply by reading, studying, and praying, and staying before God, you'd be surprised the things that are back in here that you have no idea of. Because Jesus, listen to what Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit, when the Comforter, when that one has come that I'm going to send to you, what is one of the things Jesus said he was going to do? He's going to call or recall to your remembrance whatsoever I have taught you. So if you've been studying and listening and learning from God, it might be in your subconscious. But when the time comes and you encounter a situation, you're putting yourself in a position to be used of God. When the time comes, the anointing comes on you and from out of nowhere, kind of like the mask man, you know, so who was that masked man? We don't know, but he did the right thing, didn't he? Well, went from out of nowhere comes a speedy bullet and the sound of the Ohio silver and the Holy Spirit is on the scene. <laughs> and, and from out of here, the things that you have learned and studied and have been taught of God come to the forefront. Isn't that great? That's what the anointing will do. That's what it will do. And now listen, when Jesus was sent by God and anointed by God, he didn't sit around and wait for the world to come to him. Now that's what the church is doing. The church is just sitting here. Well, if you need to see the works of Jesus in your life, come to our church and we will work the works. Come over here where the works are working. Well, you know the works work better. Where? Out there, where the people are. So Jesus didn't wait. In Acts chapter 2, we've read all of these scriptures before. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him. So Jesus was doing miracles, signs and wonders. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good. So he went doing good. Luke chapter 8, verse number 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. So Jesus was going. When he told us to go, he wasn't telling us to do something that he hadn't done or telling us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. But he was going and doing. So he says, hey, like he did in John 14, watch me. If you see me do it, you can do it. If, if you hear me say it, you can say it. So if we saw Jesus do it, bless God, we can do it also because we have the, the same God that he had. To get the results that Jesus got, you must do what Jesus did. You must be going and preaching the good news because you see, you have the same God. There's not another God. Jesus didn't have a different God than we had. He, didn't have, he doesn't have a different father than we have. I know several times here in the gospel we've been reading and it said, uh, he talks about my father. Jesus is saying my father, my father, my father. But there was another place in the gospel he said our father. Our father. And there's a place in, in the epistles that says we have been adopted into the family of God and we have become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, if we are a joint heir, then we have the same father. We have the same inheritance. We have the same power. We have the same Holy Ghost that Jesus has. Not a different Holy Ghost. It's the same one. We have the same anointing that Jesus had. So, so if we operating with the same God, the same Holy Ghost, the same anointing, preaching the same gospel, going like Jesus did, proclaiming the good news like Jesus did, what can we expect? We can expect to see the works done in our life, can't we? We can expect it to happen. We can get the same results. Jesus said in John 14, 12, if you believe, he, he, let's go back and look at it. I want you to see it. Go look. John 14 and 12. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. 
So it's simply believing on me, watching me, looking at me, emulating me, doing everything that I do. You'll get the same results. So you must know what to do, why to do, how to do if you're going to see the works of Jesus performed. Go to uh, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus said, This is top priority. I must do what I have been sent to do while it is day because the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as long as Jesus was here, he was the light of the world. Now, uh, John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is getting on the same level of God. Here now. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now light just simply means to shine or to make manifest. So when Jesus came, He made manifest the Father to us. He shone in darkness. Darkness is obscurity. There was nothingness. It was just blackness and nothing. And the word comprehended uh, uh, simply means to take over, take eagerly, to seize, to possess, or to take over. So when the light came into the darkness, the darkness had to flee. Darkness can't stand light. And thank God we've been translated from the power of darkness. Colossians 1.13, it said, He hath delivered us up from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, which is the kingdom of light. Don't walk in darkness anymore. Walk in the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in John chapter 9, this man is delivered from natural darkness because he was physically blind, but Jesus brought him into a, a world of natural light. But you have been delivered from spiritual darkness and have been brought into spiritual light. You're not walking in spiritual darkness anymore. At least you shouldn't be. If you hang around here very long, you're going you're gonna to hear about the light enough. You're going to see enough about the light that if you're still spiritually blind, it's your own fault. It's nobody else's. But this man was delivered from natural darkness, but you have been delivered from spiritual darkness. Notice Jesus said he was the light of the world. But now, on the other hand, you are his representative in the world. You are Jesus' representative. I don't, let's go back to that uh, chapter 9 just a minute. I don't want to leave that just a minute because some of you are already thinking. I, I can sense it in your mind right now. You're thinking about something. I, I hear your thoughts. The disciples said, Who hath sinned, this man or his parents, that he, might, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man has sinned nor his parents but that the works of God might be manifest in him. So some of you are saying, well, this, this poor fellow, he suffered all that long just so, that, just so that Jesus could come along and heal him. God put it on him. God took it off of him. That would make God a schizophrenic, wouldn't it? That would make God a schizophrenic. I, I, I heard Brother Creflo Dollar say this week, but I, I taught, taught this in another place another time, that in the original manuscripts, there was no punctuation. There, there is no punctuation in, in the, in the uh, original manuscript. And the writers or the translators, they put the punctuation where they felt like or they thought it ought to fit or where they thought it made sense. So here's what they're saying. They think it makes sense to say, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. But here's what Jesus really said. Jesus really said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. And he pauses with a period. And he says, but ought not the works of God to be manifest in this individual? He might be blind, but shouldn't he see? Satan might have put this thing on him, but shouldn't God heal him? This, this blindness might be a manifestation of the darkness, but shouldn't he walk in light? That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that this happened simply so that he could come along and, and get some glory. Because God doesn't get glory out of sickness. God doesn't get glory because you suffer. 
So stop talking that way. Stop saying, you know, God put this on me so I would learn something. God put this on me so he could get my attention. Well, he didn't do that. He sent Jesus into the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to get your attention. God sent Jesus to teach you something. The thief is the one. And we don't want to call him a thief in our life like Pastor talked the other night. Let's don't say the thief is working in our life. Don't say that because you're giving him a license. But the Bible says that the thief is the one that does these things. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So let's put things in their proper perspective. This man wasn't sick just so that the works of Jesus could be manifest, but this man was sick and as a result of that ought not the works be manifest. Shouldn't, when we see somebody that's sick, Shouldn't we lay hands on them and pray for them? We shouldn't say, well, you, this, is, this is done so that you know, I can come along and be some great prophet here now, some great healer. That's, that's not the reason. But you're now his representative in the world. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. John chapter 5, excuse me. Is that what I said? What did I say? Sometimes my tongue gets in front of my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying. <clears throat> All right. John chapter 5. And verse, what, where were we at? 13, 13. Is that right? That's not right. Something ain't right here. Well, let's just see. It don't look right. He that, he that was healed, wish not that was Jesus. Behold, thou made the Son of God. But Jesus answered, verse number 17, But Jesus answered, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. That's not right. But anyway, what I was, what I was uh, going at there was that now, that now Jesus says, You are the light of the world, and a light that's placed on a hill ought not to be put under a bushel and hid. But you need to let your light shine so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Just like Jesus was doing, bringing glory to God, we ought to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. So we must do, you must, I must, the church must be doing the works of Jesus. Now that word works means it's a deed, a task, or an object of employment. That's what work means. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me. So in one sense of the word there, God is an employer. God has sent Jesus to do something. We must work when the opportunity presents itself, like Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 4, while it is day. It was Matthew. It was Matthew uh, 5.13. Okay, all right, y'all change that. John 5.13 to Matthew 5.13. I would blame my secretary for this, but uh, I'd be blaming myself, bless God. <laughs> So, when the opportunity presents itself, we must be doing the work. There's much time, there's not much time left, there's not many laborers to do the work. Now go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's see what Jesus said over there. Let's start at verse number 35. And Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, why do you suppose it was every? Because, you know, uh, we, we don't want to, to call Jesus a specialist, you see. Uh, now, nowadays, when you, when you uh, go to a medical facility, uh, the doctor will examine you and he'll say, well, this is outside of my expertise. I've got to send you over to specialist so-and-so. And, -so. and th this person just deals, you know, with, with fingers. And, and then if it, if it gets, uh, you know, up in your ear or something, you, you go over here to another air place. But it says every, Jesus healed every sickness. He was a general practitioner. He healed every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They needed somebody to minister to them. Jesus saw a bunch of people and he said, just take a look out here. The harvest truly is plenteous, 
but the laborers are few. There's a lot to do and not many willing to do it. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So there's a lot to be done and Jesus said not many are willing to do it. So we want to get involved. So what must we do? Let's take a look at that right quickly. What must you and I do in order that we can work the works of him that sent me? What is required of you to do the works of Jesus? John chapter 6 and verse number 28, they asked Jesus a question there. Uh, they said, uh, verse number 26, Verily I say unto you, verily I say unto you, seek ye me, not because of the, the, the works, but because you eat the loaves and fishes. Labor not for the meat, going so forth. And verse number 28, then, then said they unto him, What shall we do? that we might do the works of God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him that sent me. So number one, you must be full of faith. Very important. To do the works of Jesus, you must be full of faith. You must be a believer. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. So number one, you must be a believer. To do that, you have to develop your faith. You have to develop it. Now, uh, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So you must be hearing the gospel. The purpose of this school that we're in right now is to train you in the Word of God, to give you some equipment, to give you a background, to give you a foundation so you can go out and build upon it. You can go out and preach and teach these very same things, and you can see the results. That's one way of hearing is by coming to this school and listening to these lessons. You are hearing the Word of God. That's one way. Another way you also hear by listening to your pastor. Now, how are you going to listen to your pastor if you stay home on Wednesday night? <clears throat> Excuse me, I didn't mean to say that, but I said it, didn't I? <laughs> so don't stay home on Wednesday night and think that, that you're listening to your pastor because you can't do that if you're staying home. When you get full of faith, <coughs> Excuse me. You can do the works. You'll see miracles, signs, and wonders. And that will prove that God is with you and will verify the message you are preaching. John 3, <coughs> verses 1 and 2. Nicodemus said to Jesus in verse number 2, he said, No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. You couldn't do this. If God wasn't with you. So, so miracles, signs, and wonders verify that God is with you. It verifies the message in uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 22. It said that God anointed Jesus, a man. Isn't that what it said? Didn't we read that earlier? Acts 2 and 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. How was he approved of God? By miracles and wonders and signs. That's how he was approved of God, with miracles, wonders, and signs. Now, secondly, if you're going to do the works, you must be full or you must have the Holy Ghost anointing. It was necessary for Jesus, so why isn't it necessary for you? In Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 3, let's see what that says. Maybe, I got, maybe my secretary got this one right. Let's see if she did. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Verse 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came down from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God was well pleased in Jesus. Is God pleased with you? Ask yourself that question sometime. Is God pleased with you. Now because Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost, he could manhandle the devil. In other words, if there was any pushing around to be done, Jesus was going to do the pushing, not the devil. In Luke's Gospel chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus there, and that temptation occurred after that the Holy Ghost had come upon him, and Satan could not get the upper hand on Jesus during that 40-day period in, in the wilderness. But Jesus came out victorious. And what did he fight, or what did he uh, <clears throat> manhandle the devil with? The That's right, the Word. So you have to be full of the Word. 
And you have to be full of the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost anointing. So the Holy, you need the Holy Ghost just like Jesus had the Holy Ghost. When the day of Pentecost was come, let's look and see what the day of Pentecost produced. Go to Acts chapter 2. You can quote it, but I want you to see it again. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Jesus had already said back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Here the Holy Ghost came upon them. Back in, in uh, Luke's gospel we read a bit ago, it came and descended upon Jesus in the bodily form or in the form of a dove or, or in the shape of, or it looked like a dove. Here it looked like cloven tongues as a fire, a double pronged tongue of fire. Why cloven tongues? Well, one side of that tongue is a witness upon the believers. Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, and uh, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue the Sabbath day and preached, and they delivered unto him, so and so forth. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So it, it, is, a, a, the, it is an example or a case of the anointing upon the believer. In, uh, that was Luke chapter 4. Where did I tell you all to go? Three, didn't I? In verse number 16. Let's go read that. And he answered and said unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff will he burn with the unquenchable fire. So he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We used to call this years ago, when I was growing up, the Holy Ghost fire, fire baptism. People always talked about being baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. We, we don't hear much about fire anymore. But we used to talk about that all the time, baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. So it is a witness that the Holy Ghost had come upon them. It's also a witness uh, that the believer was receiving the Spirit to go out and minister. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul talks about the demonstration, the power of the Spirit that was resident within him. So you must be full of the Holy Ghost. But thirdly, you must be going. You must be doing something. You must be out there going. You can't just sit around. Number four, you must be bold. Now you have to be bold in the face of the devil. You can't just stand around in some mamby-pamby, limp wrist little thing. You ever seen preachers stand around there preaching with the little limp wrist hanging down? I used to know a preacher, he preached like that all the time. His little hands just hung down so limp, and his little, he was just so meek and polite, you know, and, you know, not bold at all. But you've got to get bold in the face of the devil. Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 29, it says uh, something about, listen, listen to this, Acts chapter 4. I'm gonna, I want to bring this part out to you. Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse number 29. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by, in, the name of the in the name of Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Well, when the power of God comes on the place, sometimes things shake. It just has to shake. In Acts chapter 16, 25 and 26, uh, Paul and Silas were in prison. At midnight they prayed and there came a great earthquake. The whole place shook. The whole place shook to the point that their bond, their bands were broken and they were released. The shaking, the power of God broke the, the bonds of, bands of the enemy. Now, uh, uh, years ago, back in this Holy Ghost fire baptism thing, uh, uh, the, the father of uh, the superintendent uh, of the North Carolina Conference, uh, W. Eddie Morris's father, and the, the father of the bishop of the Pentecost Holiness Church, uh, J. Floyd Williams's father, uh, they were in a revival in Parmalee, North Carolina, way back yonder around the turn of the century. It was way, way back there before you were ever even thought about, but it was way back there, and they were in a little house in Parmalee, North Carolina, in a revival, and this, this is a documented occurrence. Uh, and it wasn't an earthquake because they don't have earthquakes in Parmalee. How many of you where Parmalee is? There's one over there. Praise God. You must have been around Martin County somewhere sometime in your life. <laughs> but anyway, they were, they were uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in this house. Now, now look, you've got to understand 
the, the vocabulary or the thinking of these, of these people at that time. We've gotten beyond that now. But they were tarrying for the Holy Ghost. Tarrying for the Holy Ghost. And they were laying out flat, prostrating the floor, praying for the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, God, sometimes He just helps our ignorance anyway. In spite of our, us, he, he, you know, he will bless and, and do something. Well, while they were praying and seeking the Holy Ghost, lo and behold, they received the Holy Ghost. And the place, the house where they went, when the Holy Ghost came, the, the, the record says that the, the house shook so violently that the chimney fell off the roof. The chimney actually fell off the roof because the house was trembling under the power of the Spirit of God. And nobody else's houses were shaken. Nobody else had to, you know, say, when the power of God comes, things will shake. Things will move. God's a mover and a shaker. Bless God. He sure is. He's a mover and a shaker. So you have to be bold uh, in, in the face of the enemy. You have to get bold in the face. And when you get bold, things will, things will happen. Bold with the laying on of hands. Uh, the example of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. Uh, the, uh, as a believer in uh, Mark chapter 16, you are challenged to lay hands on the sick. Acts chapter 5, the apostles laid hands on the sick. Acts chapter 9, Paul laid hands on the sick. Well, do we, are we seeing a pattern here? Are we seeing a pattern? Well, when, when we do, the demonstration of the power of God will come. But remember this. Sometimes, as we read in the story of Jesus here a while back, laying on of hands will work when nothing else will. Laying on of hands will work when nothing else will. But here's a key I want you to see. Here is a key. Matthew chapter 8. Go to Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> this is the real key right here. Matthew chapter 8. And verse number five. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now uh, go to verse 10. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in all Israel. So I would contend that this is the highest kind of faith, just to speak the word. You, you, you have, you've gotten to the point that you don't have to ask anymore. You don't have to beg and plead. You don't have to wait for God to do it. You just simply speak the word. And, and it'll happen. We are not only re received miracle working power, but we receive the authority. That's why we can speak the word. In Mark 16, we receive, in Mark, uh, Matthew 28, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. He's transferring the authority, the power to us. So speak the word only. That's the key. The centurion didn't ask Jesus to pray. He didn't ask Jesus to lay hands on anybody. He just said, speak the word. Mark 11, 22 it tells us that that's all we do is to speak the word. 11.22 says that we should have the God kind of faith. We should have faith in God, I believe it's it. But that's talking about the God kind of faith. What is the God kind of faith? Think about that. The God kind of faith is this. He simply speaks the word and it happens. He simply says something. So Jesus says we are to speak the word. Whosoever shall say to this mountain... So he says, say something to the mountain. Speak to the mountain. The key to working the works is to speak to the problem. Speak to the mountain. Speak the word of God. Stop talking about the problem and speak to the problem. I owe the church so much. Sets around and talks about the problem. Just discusses the issues. Well, you know, this, what's going to be plan B? If this don't work, what are we going to do next? If that don't work, give me a plan C. Give me something else to work with. Well, you've got the Word of God to work with. That's all you need. You don't need all this plan B, C, D, and E. All you need is plan A, and that is the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Don't stand on nothing else but the Word. So speak the, to the problem. Speak the answer and not the problem. Stop talking about the problem and start talking about the answer. Tell it to go and tell the problem to go in the name of Jesus. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. He didn't pray. He spoke to the leper. He didn't pray. He spoke to the man with the withered hand. He didn't pray. He spoke to the damsel that was dead. Get up and rise. He didn't pray. He spoke to Lazarus. Come forth out of that tomb. And Lazarus came out. Jesus didn't pray. He spoke to the wind that night on the ship. He didn't pray. 
So you see, Jesus didn't pray about these things. He simply spoke to them. And when he spoke, he expected results. He must have, he must have started uh, this uh, 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 investment company, E.F. Hutton. Because when the old saying that when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, when Jesus spoke, bless God, not only people, but things listened. Nature listened. They had to because he, he, he's the creator. Peter and John spoke to the lame man in Acts chapter 3. Paul spoke to the crippled man in Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. So, my question again, what must we do? Speak the word only. Speak the word. Somebody should say it out loud. Speak the word. All right, and as a result, you'll do the works of Jesus. It's time for miracles. It's time for signs. It's time for wonders. So we've got to get busy and do it. Amen? Amen? Praise God. All right, it's time for Pastor Singletary. He'll be coming in in a minute. Is he already here? Okay. Is he outdoor, side door? Okay. <laughs>